Welcome to the 37th episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. Today we're going to be doing a full breakdown of UFC Fight Night, Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. After that, we're going to look forward to next week's fight card. There isn't any news to talk about that happened in MMA in the last week, so we won't be touching on that. We'll be skipping that section of the podcast. So we're going to start right off here at the main event of TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen. And we're going to start it off by talking about the judges and how this fight was scored. After that, I'm going to talk about the performance, what I liked, what I li- what I disliked from each guy. And then we're going to end it off by talking about the future for both Corey and TJ. So like I said, starting it off right at the right at the controversial point. We're going to start it right off. You know, I scored this fight 3-2. Corey Sandhagen, but, but, that's a crucial word in this sentence, but I completely understand a 3-2 Dillashaw scorecard, and I think that's a very reasonable score, and I think that this fight is being called a robbery. First of all, the word robbery is an overused term in MMA that we're seeing a lot now, but um, I think this is being seen as more of a robbery than it actually is just because there were two other big-time, big-time messed-up decisions that were robberies. I think that Miranda Maverick won the fight against Macy Barber. That's pretty popular opinion. And I think that Kyler Phillips uh, should have had a draw in his fight. I should think he should have had a 10-8 first round, and that should have led to a draw. So I think when you have those two decisions first, I think that that makes the third one in the most important fight, I think that kind of makes the fan reaction blown out of proportion because it wasn't the first questionable call that we saw that night. But the reason that I scored this fight 3-2 Corey was because in rounds 4 and 5, let me start with this, I think that rounds 1 and 3 are very clear for TJ, and round 2 is very clear for Corey. So obviously TJ's got a you know, advantage going into the fourth and fifth round. He's up two very clear rounds. And then in rounds four and five, both very close rounds. So when I'm talking about why I scored the fight this way, I'm really just referencing rounds four and five because I had both of those for Corey. Now, I scored these rounds for Corey because ultimately I I valued the striking damage that he did a lot more than I valued the control and you know, grappling of Dillashaw. And that is something that I usually don't do. I usually am very high and very generous when it comes to scoring position and certainly cage control. But I just think that in this fight, we were seeing TJ walk Corey down and just walking in to Corey's strikes. I mean, that's an over oversimplification of this fight entirely, yes. But I think where we just are in a position where TJ is walking forward, Corey's evading the, most of the strikes that are coming at him. I think the only strike that TJ was really hitting at a high percentage was those leg kicks, and those were effective. So that's not to demean his performance, but I think that that was really the most effective thing he did in the striking. And then we have Corey who was landing a lot of big shots and was landing a lot of shots that were doing damage to Dillashaw. So I've been valuing that over the control time where we see TJ shoot 
for a takedown, push Corey up against the fence, and then hold Corey up against the fence for 15 to 30 seconds with ultimately doing very little damage. And when TJ was able to secure a takedown, usually what we saw was Corey pop right back up um, within 10 seconds of hitting the ground. And then, you know, TJ would push him up against the fence again and would be in the same position. Now, that was a good game plan from TJ. That was a great game plan, and it won him the fight. But when it comes to scoring that, I score that. Those to the two comparisons of how those rounds went, the pressure and control, and then the striking, I just value the striking more, and that's my opinion. And if someone disagrees with me, ultimately, that's the problem with MMA strike or MMA judging is that you can have the disagree, and ultimately, neither of neither person is wrong, but you still got to score the fight for one or the, one or the other. You know, both guys either way are going to be in a position where. They, many people thought they won, but they're walking away with a loss. And that's just the nature of judging, you know, when you have to determine, when you have to factor in, you know, the number one thing is effective striking, but how much did the control and pressure of TJ outweigh the effective striking? It's a conversation to have, and I don't think that, um, I don't think that's a conversation for one person sitting, doing a podcast should give. Just because I feel like that's a discussion where you should bring in many people's viewpoints. And I feel like that's more of a roundtable discussion that needs to be had than just a single person um, giving his opinion. That I just feel like that would not be the right way to solve this issue. But like I said, ultimately a very close fight that could be scored 3-2 for Corey or TJ. I had it Corey, understand why people had it TJ, and I understand why people and the judges had it for TJ. And like I said earlier as well, I just think the frustration is starting to boil over on the judging, and especially um, when there were two other questionable calls before that. Ultimately, it boils into, you know, Corey got robbed when he didn't get robbed, and it was a very close fight. Moving on. Moving on, uh, we're going to talk about TJ's performance. I was very impressed. Even though I had Sandhagen winning this fight, what TJ did was very, very impressive. The first thing that I loved from TJ is he came in with the right game plan. Anytime a fighter comes in with the right game plan, it makes them 100 times harder to beat. TJ came in with a great game plan, you know, Leg kicks, pressure, pushing Corey up against the fence. Those are all great ways to defeat Corey with the skills that TJ has. I think the best way to beat Corey is the way that Eljamine Sterling did. However, you know, not many people can do that the way Eljo did that just because of how high level of a grappler Eljo is. But with the skills that TJ had, he went in there and performed, you know, the perfect, the absolutely perfect um, performance to win that fight and he overcame a lot of adversity as well he still showed you know the same heart he had before whenever you know at the end of the first round his knee popped and at, at the end of the second round he had the big cut now Corey caused both of those let's not get that confused it's not like either of these were freak incidents one was because of a massive hook that Corey landed in a perfect spot the other because of a leg lock Corey had and wrenched on it and got the knee to pop. Both of those credits to Corey. And, you know, 
A lot of fighters, however, aren't able to come back the way TJ did. They let that knee affect them too much. They shy away from throwing kicks. I mean, after the round one was probably the least amount of kicks we saw from TJ. Kicks only sped up and increased as we got later in that fight. So TJ really started to kick more after the injury to the knee. You know, a lot of guys don't do that. A lot of guys don't start kicking more when they win the first round without the kicks. They would have just said, hey, I won the first round, no kicks. Uh, Now my knee's hurt. We'll just keep the same game plan. He was able to adjust and take on a better game plan while overcoming an injury. And then anytime you're in there with a high-level striker like Corey Sandhagen and you've got blood blocking your vision and you're still able to compete at a high level and win that fight, very, very impressive for him to overcome that. The other thing that I was very impressed with from TJ was simply you're, you were out for two and a half years. How do we look in a return? The questions for any fighter in a return are cardio, chin, speed, all of those things, heart, things like that. All of those things were tested, and they were tested at a high level. The heart with the injuries, the cardio, five rounds, both Sandhagen and Dillashaw were didn't look very tired after the five-round war they had just had. The speed was evidently still there. The footwork still there. The chin still there. I mean, Sandhagen landed a landed a flying knee. He landed a spinning back fist. I think he landed a spinning elbow. That was pretty good. Um, he landed several big hooks. TJ you know, got knocked down once, but in all considerations, you know his chin held up very well. A lot of those people, a lot of people in the bantamweight division, don't last five rounds with Corey Sandhagen. That's just the nature of the game. So I was very impressed by that. The signs of aging and ring roughs were just simply not there. And that just makes the bantamweight even even scarier of a division now that we know TJ is performing at a high level at that division. Moving on to Sandhagen, this is going to seem like I'm being more critical of Sandhagen because I do have some points that I think he should have thinks some things he should, should have done, you know? I think he should have, you know, turned up the pressure a little bit more in rounds four and five. Those ultimately were two very, very close rounds. And I think there were instances where he was able to touch Corey, but he ended up just bop, 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 and then boom, that's it, you know? Ultimately, I think when he lands the initial, you know, spray of shots, I think he needs to keep going. I think he needs to stay in his face, a little bit more forward pressure, a couple more body shots, and if he can, if he can throw in another flurry in each round, another maybe two flurries in each round at the end of a nice com- combo, I think that could have won him the fight. And that's all retrospect, you know. That's all. That's something that is very hard to do when you're in the midst of that fight, especially when you're finding someone as high caliber as TJ Dillashaw. But Corey, if you saw his Instagram post, Corey Sandhagen agreed with me. You know, this wasn't something that Sandhagen, you know, is saying that didn't happen. He said he needed to be a little bit aggressive in spots and made some mistakes. So, you know, that that was no secret there. I also would have liked to see Corey mix in some kicks. I th- with the long limbs that Corey has, a couple more kicks, I think, would have been you know beneficial. But at the same time, TJ did catch some of them and turn those into takedowns. So maybe, you know, 
Maybe I'm off on this one, but I would have liked to see a couple more kicks because I think that diversity and striking makes Corey Sanhagen a lot harder to beat. But, you know, I could be wrong on that. I'm not too bullish on that. Now, let's stop critiquing Corey Sanhagen because he still performed very well. At the end of the day, he went in there and did the one thing that every fighter tries to do. He went in there, he got hit, and didn't get hit. I mean, he got he got kicked in the leg, but in terms of just throwing punches, if you're just looking at the punching exchanges, he was hitting TJ and was not getting hit nearly as often. He's dodging, returning, textbook stuff, and, you know, as simple as you can make it sound with hitting and not getting hit, it's a lot more complicated than that, and Corey Sanhagen was able to go in there and do that. And he also landed some very big bombs. He landed some shots. He landed some shots that put a lot of guys away, like I said earlier. And to be able to do that on someone like TJ Dillashaw, very impressive, simple as that. Last thing here, he caused the cut and he caused the injury of TJ. Those are two things that I don't, you know, if he wins this fight, that knee and that cut, you know, would have been two things that really helped him do it. But he, he wasn't, ultimately, he didn't get the win. Um, but those two things were still there, and they were two crucial things, two crucial roles, two, cru- two crucial factors of that fight that Corey caused on to TJ that uh, almost helped him get a win. So overall, tremendous performance by TJ and Corey. Now what is next for TJ Dillashaw? TJ, he's got to fight for a title next. He has said he was willing to fight Rob Font if it's going to take those two um, Aljo and Piotr Jan being those two. If it takes if it takes them too long to rematch, then TJ Dillashaw said he would fight another opponent. That just seems silly to me. Two things we saw in that fight: knee, cut. Right? We've talked about it before. Let those heal. Let those heal. If you're coming in with uh, uh, something that can get cut open against Piotr Jan, it's probably going to get cut open. You know. If you've got a bad leg against Eljo, it's going to be a lot harder to stop a takedown. That's just the nature of the game. And I don't want to see him fight Rob Font injured. I don't want to see him fight, you know, I don't want to see him get put in a position where he's got a title fight now regardless. By going in there against Rob, even if he wins, say he wins and gets injured and the timetables aren't adding up, you know, it's just not worth worth the risk. He's got the title. Take the title. It's just not worth it. And then, and oh, another, I guess this is kind of a piece of news. So I didn't add it in the news section because I wanted to touch on it here. But it's looking like Jan versus Sterling is going to happen in October. So that'll give some more clarity on this bantamweight division because we now we've got the next title contender. And we've got the next title fight. You know, let's get some of this stuff squared away. We can get this division back to normal. Because right now, it's so difficult when you have the asterisks next to Piotr Jan as a champion in many people's eyes. And, you know, you've got the Jan rematch looming. And then what's next for Corey Sandhagen? It's got to be Rob Font here. I think that's the number one clear option. Both these two are two guys who everyone recognizes as top guys in the division. However, you know, they're not getting a title shot next regardless. Pair them up against each other. Winner gets a title shot after TJ. I think it's as simple as that. And if something happens, TJ wants to fight Rob Font. I'm looking at the winner of Jose Aldo and Pedro Munhos. 
I just think that the winner of that is going to prove that they're high, high level in this division. And that they're going to move back up these 135-pound rankings. Because right now, they are, let me get you their exact ranking. But all those four, and Frankie Edgar is seven, or excuse me, Pedro Munoz is eight. But that eight is coming off some very impressive performances. Um, so I think that the winner of this is going to jump right into that conversation and is going to jump into that tier of fun and saying, Hagen, for who is the next best in the division, if you're if you're making a tier list right now based off the landscape. Clear cut, that would be the clear cut number four, maybe the number three, depending on who wins and how. Um, and then that would leave you another gap to where you see the likes of Cody Garbrandt, Marlon Rice, Frankie Edgar, you know, all still very, 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 very high-level guys. They're just not at at the top and as close to a title shot right now. And then, so that's all I've got for Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. Aha, psych, I lied. One more thing. the And also, that was very cringy, what I just said. I'm never doing that again, especially on a podcast that's being posted on social media. But the last thing I want to add is this is an obvious fight of the year contender. I think it is fight of the year. And I base that not solely off entertainment of the X's and O's and what exactly happened in this fight, but the pressure going into this, the all everything that all the stakes that were on the line, the pressure. I mean, it was the... The feeling you've got during this fight is why it's fight of the year. It's not as much crazy excitement as some other fights, but just the feeling that you get of watching two guys, you know they're going to fight for a title fight. You've got fan favorite TJ, or excuse me, you've got fan favorite Corey Sanhagen. Not fan favorite at all TJ Dillashaw, but he's a returning champion, and he's been out for two and a half years. You take everything that was surrounding this fight and then throw that type of performance at it, it's a fight of the year contender. And the only thing that would have made this fight better is a full packed arena. And I mean, that would have been an electric, absolutely electric, you know, atmosphere. I, I wish that would have happened. It's a shame it didn't, but it's all right. It happened. I would have loved, I would have loved to see this in a full arena on a pay-per-view five-round non-title fight. I think it was that high level of a fight. That's just something I would have liked to see, and I think that would have been made this the best fight. You know, throw it, you know, throw it at you. They were looking for a main event, or they were looking to make that UFC 265 card better. Even if you don't throw the title fight heavyweight main event on there, you let Amanda Nunes headline with TJ Dillashaw and Corey Sandhagen as the... Colmain, I think that would have been a very good card. And then you don't have to go through all the drama uh, that we're going through with the UFC heavyweight division right now. I think that would have been a good thing to do. But hindsight's 50-50. This fight could have laid an egg. You know, it could have been one of those fights. And then that card would have been looked even worse. But, you know, we got the fight we got, and I'm happy with it. So we'll just leave it at that. In the Colmain event, we had Kyler Phillips versus Rolina Pavia. And I don't have much to say for this fight other than it's ridiculous 
that the first round wasn't scored at 10-8 for Kyler Phillips. You know, this fight should have been a draw. It felt like a draw. Phillips won the second round by a mile. Pavia, you know, won the last two rounds by a, I, I, um, not a close margin, a little bit more than a close margin, but there wasn't enough to be like, you know, if you're feeling out the feel of this fight, it wasn't enough for those two rounds to outweigh the one round we saw from Phillips. And I'm not out on Phillips. Kyler Phillips is still such an exciting guy in this bantamweight division. And now the bantamweight division just got even stronger with Raulina, or Raulina in, in that division as well. And I'm very excited to see what's going on in the future for the bantamweights. Um, I think that Kyler Phillips is probably going to fall out of the rankings. Maybe he doesn't. I think he stays right around the 15. He's probably going to go in that category of really good fighters who aren't ranked right now in bantamweight. You know, Sean O'Malley's in that category right now. That's an interesting matchup going forward. Sean O'Malley versus Kyler Phillips. Song Yudong's in that conversation. There's a lot of guys in that 135-pound division who aren't ranked, who are very, very good. Umar Namagamadoff, Adrian Yanez. You know, all these guys are at different levels in their career right now. But 135 is just so deep in terms of talent and guys who are ready right now. Uh, Ricky Simone, even. I mean, my goodness. This division is great. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where 135, 145, 155, you've almost got two separate tier of fighter where you've got the ranked fighters. Then you've got the guys who aren't ranked, but good Lord, they're good. So Kyler Phillips lands into that category, and he's, I'll tell you what, I'm not missing another Kyler Phillips fight after the one I just watched. It's like, good Lord, that's some high-level entertainment is a Kyler Phillips fight. So moving on, we had Darren Elkins versus Derek Miner, and, or Minner, excuse me, Derek Minner. This fight, you know, it's just about every other Darren Elkins fight you've seen in the last couple years. It's everything that you expected. You know, Elkins gets wears his opponent down, just rope-a-dope, not getting finished, and then all of a sudden you're getting finished. It's just a, it's just the most classic Darren Elkins fight. Darren Elkins and Derek Minner are both two of those guys in that 145-pound division. We are looking at them and go, wow, they're talented. But neither of them both talented for two very different reasons. But you look at them and you're like, hey, they're two really talented guys. And they ain't even close to those rankings right now. It's just how it works in that division. Then women's flyweight. I think this was the worst decision on the whole fight card. Macy Barber beating Miranda Maverick three rounds to two. I don't know how you score the fight. You know, I don't know how you score the second round for Macy Barber. It's just that when you look at that second round, this is a 50-50 round. With a minute left, I'm you know maybe a minute 30, I'm looking at this going, oh, I have no clue how this is going to get scored. And then Maverick gets a takedown and wins the remainder of the round. And then it's like, okay, now that she got a takedown and a minute of control, it takes a 50-50 round and puts it into her favor. That's what I saw. I think that's what the majority of people on the internet saw. I think that's what the more majority of people who were watching live and over the TV, I think that's what everybody saw except for two octagon side judges. And it's a shame because Miranda Maverick and Macy Barber, you know, this it, it really hurts both their careers. 
at the end of the day, Macy Barber is going to get looked at lesser because, you know, losing a close fight is one thing, but getting a win and then, you know, you have to deal with people calling it a loss. People you are saying you're not as good as your ranking because of that decision. You know, Miranda Maverick doesn't get to move up in the rankings because she technically lost. You know, this is just, it's a shitty situation that, you know, you don't want to have to deal with, but it happened. So, what's next for both these fighters? Macy Barber called out Jessica I. I just don't see it right now. I think that's a little bit too high, you know. Moving from 13 to 8 after, you know, probably losing the fight to the number 14 ranked fighter. Just doesn't make sense to me. Should she move up in the rankings? Yes. You know, whether that's Andrea Lee or Talia Santos, I think both those are possibilities. But you also have, you know, Miranda Maverick, who needs to move up in the rankings as well because she put on an impressive performance, and giving her an unranked fighter wouldn't be fair to her either. So we're at a point where Maverick and Barber are both going to need ranked opponents in their next fight. Probably in, you know, wait for a couple other fights to clear out. Roxanne Montefiore is supposed to fight Tatiana Suarez. You know, that fight happened. That could open up something. You know, Grasso and Lee, you know, those are two. You know, you could do Maverick and Grasso, Lee and Barber. That's an option. Um, I'm not too bullish on any. There isn't anything that sticks out to me for either of those fighters and go, all right, there it is. You know, it's not like Corey Sanhagen where it's like, ah, I really like Rob Font. I don't see anything that sticks out to me as a, a great matchup that, or anything that really helps either of those two fighters. And then the fight that I was most excited for, that um, I had the co-main feeling for, even though it wasn't the co-main, was Adrian Yanez versus Randy Costa. And if you're active on Twitter at all, you know why. And if you don't, if you're not active on Twitter, then you know you were probably listening to me say that. You were watching the broadcast. You're going. What the hell are all these people talking about, about Twitter and Yanez and Costa? At the end of the day, Adrian Yanez is one of the best prospects in the bantamweight division. You know, Randy Costa also, come to find out, is one of the best prospects in the bantamweight division because you don't do that to Adrian Yanez without being high-level yourself. But these two promoted a fight on Twitter that moved its way up the card that, you know, this fight wasn't supposed to happen. These two organized the fight. They said, hey, we want to fight each other. The UFC said, hey, okay. Then they said, hey, this date, you know, some things moved around with the date. Eventually, it landed on this date. The UFC was like, okay. And then, you know, they, they said, all right, you're a prelim fight. And then Dowskis and um, Shamil got moved to next week. And they said, all right, you're not a prelim fight no more. You're a main card fight. So that just goes to show the power of promotion when fighters and fans and the UFC are all on the same page. You get fights like Yanez and Costa. You don't get them every week. But when it pans out, it pans out very well. And the fight itself lived up to every expectation that Yanez and Costa set for this. And Adrian Yanez is a tremendous fighter. I mean, he went out there and he said it himself. He got beat. He got outclassed in the first first round by Randy Costa. Randy Costa came out with a great game plan, pressure, jab. You know that really limited some of the things that Giannis could do. Then Giannis started coming back and being like, "All right, you want to throw jabs? We can throw jabs." Giannis started connecting with his own jab, started mixing some body shots, and eventually he landed a big body shot. 
backed it up with another big body shot, just started finding the liver of Randy Costa. And then when you find the liver, that opens up, you know, that it kind of just shuts down the body, opening up a lane to a finish. And when you give Adrian Yanez a lane to a finish, he's going to take it. He's going to take that lane. He's going to take it at 100 miles an hour, and he's going to get that finish. And that's exactly what happened. You know, this is a fight where Costa wins the first round. Yanez makes adjustments to his game plan and then eventually wins the fight. That is something that I love seeing from someone who isn't even ranked yet. It's like we saw from TJ Dillashaw some adjustments in his game plan, and those adjustments received some very high praise, and he's one of the best fighters in the world. Now we have Adrian Yanez pretty much did the same thing, found an adjustment, found a different angle to approach this fight, gets the win after losing the first round. He really did very similar things to TJ Dillashaw in that sense, and he's an unranked guy, you know? And I am, I think that both Yanez and Costa are both going to get pushed up these rankings because they're both incredibly talented guys who talk well, who promote themselves well, and are just simply likable dudes. You know, Costa and Yanez are about as likable as it gets. And then they go in there and they put on great fights like this fight. These two are going to move up, up fight cards. They're going to make a name for themselves, and eventually they're probably going to, I think that both Costa and Yanez are going to be ranked eventually, and Yanez probably a little quicker just because he seems to be on more of a rocket ship, but don't overlook Randy Costa just because he lost this fight. I'm very excited for these guys. It's as simple as that. I hope they both get another fight in before the end of the year, and I hope they both get wins. Um, I loved watching this fight. I loved watching this build up, and... This is one of the few times where I genuinely really hope that these guys have tremendous careers. Obviously, I don't wish ill on anyone, but I feel like these two have just made a special impact and made a really special buildup for this fight, and I really just hope these two guys the absolute best for the rest of their career. Um, that was tremendous all the way around. Uh, thank you to Yanez and Costa for a great fight. Um, it's really all I can say. They... they uh, they have my praises. And then the premier prelim fight was was Soriano versus Allen. And that fight was also another tremendous fight. I mean, we're just getting, at this point, we're just, this fight card was just tremendous. Halfway through this fight card, I was like, this is getting ridiculous. This is, I'm having too much fun. And we hadn't even seen Dillashaw and Sanhagen in the octagon yet that was largely due to alan soriano yanez costa phillips you know it was tremendous and this was just another fight that was great and i don't know how how brendan allen got became such a great striker over you know this short span of time but to go in there with soriano and outstrike him in many aspects. His lay, his body kicks are crazy. I mean, you're looking at a cardio workout workhorse just getting beat down and slowed down because of some massive body kicks. Very impressive from Brendan Allen. And for Soriano, I mean, he landed his shots. I mean, the chin on Allen is, you know... I, I could sit here and punch this wall behind me 
for 15 minutes, and I'd have a better chance of knocking it out than if I punched Brendan Allen for 15 minutes, if he was just standing there. I mean, the chin on him is ridiculous. Soriano was landing some massive shots. He was eating them. You know, by the time Soriano connected with a massive shot, before he had his hands back, you know, Brendan Allen was returning, you know, with a massive body kick, or, or he was countering. Tremendous fight. I love this fight. And Brendan Allen, I think, is on the cusp of rankings at 185 pounds. I don't know if he's there yet, but he is close, very, very close. Um, Andre Munez at 185 is a very interesting guy in that division that I think um, would be a good matchup for Brendan Allen. Uh, but if not, something just outside the top 15, and then that will propel him to the top in his next fight. For Soriano, he, he doesn't have much further to go either. Just because he came out um, on the wrong end of this one doesn't mean I'm any lower on him as a fighter because I still really like him. He's had some great performances. That was his only his first loss, only his ninth pro fight. You know, he's still got some learning to do. I think he's going to be in the UFC for a very long time. And I think he's going to be ranked in the UFC as well. And then the last fight we're going to talk about is Mickey Gall versus Jordan Williams. Mickey Gall, um, this is going to be a quick one. Also, when did you get so good at striking? Um, great performance by Mickey Gall. And he's really starting to turn it, get himself a career here. Mickey Gall used to be the guy who fought CM Punk, but now um, he's you know becoming someone who could make a push for the rankings if he continues to improve and he continues to you know if he continues to fight at this level. I'm not saying he will, but I'm saying he can. That's the key here. He can. F- you know, make a run at the rankings. And that's something that I think most people would have disagreed with even a couple months ago. So that's all I had for UFC Fight Night Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. We're going to move on. There isn't any other news to talk about, you know, nothing else to touch on in that section. We're going to jump right into this week's fight card coming up, and that is headlined by Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. Now, let me get this out of the way. This isn't the most excited I've ever been for a fight card. It happens. It happens. Now, taking it right from the top, Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland, not the best main event, but it's a serviceable main event for a fight night, and I'm not going to pretend like this is the reason. Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland isn't the reason I'm low on this card. But... I, I really, if you're looking at just this fight, I really like this fight. I think this was a really good matchup for Sean Strickland and Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall is someone who is starting to turn it around. Um, he was one of the best prospects in the UFC. Now he's someone who is finally in the rankings. He's a little bit older, and he's trying to make a run at the top at 185. And I think he has a chance to do it. Sean Strickland... You know, I think he's got a chance to do that same thing as well. Um, Both these guys, great strikers, two very different approaches to striking. Sean Strickland wants to go in there and and get into a fist fight. 
Uriah Hall is a martial artist. We're going to get a chance to see here, you know, Sean Strickland's going to try and make this a brawl. Uriah Hall's going to try and avoid that. Uriah Hall's going to try and pick him apart from the outside. Sean Strickland's going to bring pressure. My prediction for this fight is I think that Sean Strickland is going to win this. I just think that he's going to get into the face of Uriah Hall and make him fight, and I think he's going to be very aggressive, and I think he's going to see some rewards with that, especially in the smaller octagon. So I've got Sean Strickland with probably a, I could see a KO. I could also see a decision. Lean in decision right now. Maybe I'll switch it to a KO pick by the end of the week. But right now, I'm saying decision. But by no means can Ryan Hall not put Sean Strickland's lights out. That's a very possible outcome. But right now, I just think the X's and the O's. I like the brawler in this situation. Nicomane, Shamil, Abu Rakadikov, Mav. Versus Christowskis. Much easier to say. And my apologies to Shamil because I butcher his name. I've been butchering his name for the last three weeks because for some reason I've had to talk about Shamil every week for the last three weeks. My apologies. I can't get your last name right. It's amateur hour. My bad. Okay. But this fight is really interesting. Shamil has been off for a long time. I will look to see when his last fight was. It's been a minute. I can tell you that for sure. Kristauskas, not so much. Kristauskas has been moving up. Shamil's last fight was in 2019, September. Lost to Curtis Blades via KO. It happens. Most heavyweights get knocked out by Curtis Blades. But um, I've got Kristauskas in this one. I just really liked what I've seen from Kristauskas the last couple times out, and I'm going to be riding that one. And then right here is where I start to go. This card, come on. Cheyenne Buys versus Glorina De Paula. I remember not too long ago when Cheyenne Buys was like the opener to the prelims or she was on the early prelims. Now she's the third fight on a fight night card. That's, you know, this card's just shallow. It's not very deep. I mean, there isn't much else to say for that. Um, but there are some really interesting names here. I'm not going to talk in depth about the rest of these fights. Um, simply because, you know, going to be honest, I don't know the X's nose of these fighters well enough to give you a prediction and thoughts. And anyone who can do that is probably giving you a line of BS or they're an, e an elite when it comes to knowledge on the sport. I think I'm very good when it comes to knowledge on the sport, but there's a top 1% out there that could give you a breakdown of every single fight. I'm just going to talk about the names I like on this. Ronnie Gianha, always a fun guy to watch if you like watching BJJ Specialist. Sam Alvey, some people hate him, some people love him. If you like MMA TikToks, you probably love Sam Alvey. Very active on TikTok, and he's become a fan favorite as of late. However, he has lost a lot as of late. So if Sam Alvey can win this, he'll probably be able to stay in the UFC. If not, he might get cut. 
So, hopefully Sam Elvey performs well and stays in the UFC. Not much more to say. On the prelims, we have Munir Lazaz, who is a prospect that I am very, very high on. I really like Munir Lazaz, and he's a fun fighter to watch. He got beat by Wally Alvarez in his last fight, but you know what? The Wally Alvarez that we saw in that fight was a wild man, and, you know, looked un- <laughs> unbeatable. If you aren't a top-tier guy, the Warley Alvarez we saw Munir Lazaz fight. That Warley Alvarez doesn't always show up, but when it shows up, he's a tough guy to beat. Munir Lazaz fought Wally on the wrong night. I think he's going to turn it around this time. Then we've got Nico Montano, who used to be the female... She was the champ at 135, the very first champ at 135. She's 5-3 in MMA. Take that at what you will. But we have a foreign champ fighting on the prelims. Trevin Jones, Philip Rowe, two very interesting prospects on this card. Those are two names that aren't too bad. But other than that, this is pretty much the card of the unknowns. And, you know, with the prelims that we had today, I didn't talk about, or excuse me, last week. um, I didn't talk about all of them today. But those prelims last week were very good. Ian Heinich, Nazardir Imavov, Mickey Gall, Jordan Williams, Julio Arce, Andre Ewell, Sajar Eubanks, some very, um, some well-known names. And, you know, this week just didn't turn out the same. It happens. Um, you can't, you know, have them all perfect. But I'm not telling you not to watch it. Still watch this. Because next time this happens and you see the name, um, say, Danny Chavez, you'll know a lot more about him as a fighter. Or Jean Frey, you'll know a lot more about her as a fighter. And maybe you'll find a new prospect that you like. And you'll know next time the prelims roll around. And that's what I'll be doing. And I suggest that everyone else does that. We are just two weeks out. On a high note, we are two weeks out from UFC 265. Derek Lewis versus Surreal Gan for the heavyweight title. And Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes for the female 135 belt. On those prelims, there are a lot more fighters that we know. Manel Cape, Carolina Colecheches, just call her Carolina. Draco Rodriguez, Jamie Simmons, Manel Cape, Ode Osborne. Angela Hill, Bobby Green, Rafael Faziv, Alonzo Menafield, Tisha Torres. You know, those prelims, I like I like the looks of that so far. Main card also looks very well with Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz, Michael Chiesa, Vicente Luque, Song Yudong, Casey Kenny. Those are some really fun names. That should be a very fun card. I think it's just one fight away from being an elite pay-per-view, but it happens. It's still going to be a very good pay-per-view, and I will be talking about it next week on the 38th episode of the Head KO Podcast. This was the 37th episode. We are starting to get up there in episodes, so 
if you're watching, if you're still watching, make sure to like and subscribe because if you've made it roughly 40 minutes into this podcast with a random dude talking about MMA in an Allen Iverson jersey when he's worn a jersey three weeks in a row on his podcast, if you are still watching, you probably like the content. So you might as well like, you might as well subscribe. Don't ask this every week, but, you know, this week, you know, hey, help a brother out. Like, subscribe. Don't forget to come back next week because next week we're going to be doing that preview for UFC 265 or 265, yes. And we'll be talking about any other news that happened in the UFC. I imagine that this is going to be a news week. We didn't get very much this week. So usually when you've got one week of very little news, usually the next week will be a lot of news. So look out for that. And I'll also be talking about Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland and any other fights that I really liked on that card. Probably not very many, but if I do like some, I'll talk about them. And that's all I have for this episode. So make sure you tune in next week. And once again, thank you for watching this episode of the Headkick KO Podcast.